Uh, church, tonight as we look into God's Word, we're going to be in James chapter 1 for a few moments this evening. James chapter 1, and we're going to read the first 12 verses. Um, and we're going to look at the, the thought tonight, count it all joy. Count it all joy. James chapter 1, we'll begin in verse number 1. When you found it, I'd ask if you would to stand out of respect for the reading of God's Word. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 12 tonight. And what I'd like to do, I'll read verses 1 through 11, and then I'd like for you to join me, if you would, in unison for verse number 12. The Bible says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother, brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low. Because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it, will, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Would you read verse 12 with me in unison? Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Father, we love you, and we thank you tonight for the opportunity to look into your word. And Lord, I pray that in these moments that you would, it's a Wednesday, and Lord, many of us are tired. And God, I pray that you give us a special attention to your word tonight. Ears to hear and a heart to obey all that you'd have for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. James is a powerful little book written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. We find in verse number 1 that it was written to the 12 tribes which were scattered abroad. And so this book was written by James, the half-brother of Jesus, to Jews who had been scattered across the Roman Empire by persecution. Now, it's good for us to remember that. You think you had it hard because you had to drive to church in the rain tonight. These people were fed to lions. And so as hard as we think we have it, it's really not that bad. Amen? So this is James. He was a leader there at the Church of Jerusalem. And this letter is really his pastoral counsel to those who were tasked with now living for and sharing Christ far from home. The book of James, as you study it, is an intensely practical book full of wisdom. It's often been called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And how beautiful is it that this book is practical to our everyday life? You know, there are a lot of people who think this is an antiquated book that just needs to sit on a dusty shelf. But that's not the case. This doesn't belong with the dusty books. This needs to be lived out by dusty boots, amen? And so it is an intensely practical book. And I love how one preacher put it in, in regards to James, that the theme of this letter is simple. It's grow up. 
that it is time to grow up. How many of us recognize, no matter how long we've been at it, it is always time to grow in Christ? You give testimony tonight of the fact that it's always time to grow to be more like Christ. Amen? It's always time to grow up. But as James jumps into the book, this letter, as he opens it up, we really jump into the deep end of the pool. How many of us recognize that life can be incredibly hard? James assumes this truth here. He says in verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. I want you to notice a few things. Number one, he says when. In other words, it's not when these hardships will, if these hardships will come, it is when. And so it is assumed that it is coming. He says, count it all joy when ye fall. Fall assumes that it will be sudden or can be sudden. And diverse temptations assumes the fact that it can come as anything. Life can be incredibly hard. And yet in spite of that, we as believers have the instruction at the beginning of that verse to count it all Joy. Now that's going to take some different kind of math, amen? And so in essence tonight, we're going to go over some spiritual accounting principles with how we take things that from a human standpoint belong in the loss column, and by God's grace, we're going to move them to the profit column. We're going to learn how to count it all joy. Look with me, beginning in verse number 1. We do see James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. He said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers or many different types, varied temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So how do we take those things that, humanly speaking, belong in the lost column and move them by God's grace and for God's glory into the profit column? Number one, we can do so by recognizing the blessing of growth. By recognizing the blessing of growth. The formula James lays out here is pretty simple. Problems produce pressure. I don't like to be stretched. I don't like to be put under pressure. I don't like to struggle. Problems, though, produce pressure. They produce pain. They produce struggle. Pressure, pain, struggle, stretching produces patience. Now, the word patience there, it has the idea of steadfastness or endurance. Endurance. So problems produce pressure. Pressure produces patience. But then we find this, patience produces progress. In other words, when we allow these things to work out in our lives, God uses these things to bring growth. How many of us can give testimony tonight of the fact that struggles bring growth far more deeply and extensively than security and success ever could? I've often said the most profitable thing God ever did for my ministry is put me through cancer. I would not have chosen to enroll in that class. Not one I would have chosen as an elective. But I can say hands down, the two years we went through all that, I learned more about the Lord. I learned more about the church. I learned more about God's grace. I learned more about God's provision. In those years, and I think I have ever learned at any other time in my life, 
Struggles bring growth far more deeply and extensively than security and success ever could. If you need a less traumatic illustration, think about this. If you sit on the couch eating chips, guess what you're not going to do? You're not, well, you're going to grow. You're just not going to grow the way you want to grow. Amen? But if we want to grow in the ways we want to grow stronger and we want to feel better, it's going to require that we get our carcass off the couch and we get it moving, amen? Because struggle and strain and stress produce growth far more deeply and extensively than security and success ever could. I'm grateful tonight for the fact that God is far more concerned about my development than he is my comfort. And by the way, that's not God being sadistic or anything. Hoo-hoo, oh, I'm going to get Patty Stein. That's, that's not what's going on. You know, we do this when we raise our kids. I, I intentionally put my kids in situations where they're stretched, where they have to struggle, where, where sometimes they don't like it very much. We do it by sending them to school. Guess what? If they had their way, most of them wouldn't go to school. You know what I've been known to do? Because I'm big on, like, you need to do it right, and you need to do your best. And if you do your best and you do it right, then that's, I'm, I'm very pleased with that. Well, sometimes I'll come and I'll see them writing their spelling words out. And guess what? Their handwriting is not their best. Since we've had these discussions, do you know what dad's prone to do? From time to time, I've walked by, picked up the paper, balled it up, put it in the trash, walked back by, got a blank sheet, said, try again. They don't like that very much. But if they learn the lesson that I'm going to do my best, whatever I'm doing, I'm going to, if I can help them to learn that lesson, if they got to be a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit disappointed, a little bit sad, a little bit frustrated to learn a much bigger lesson, hey, I count that a success. And you know, sometimes we are tried and we are tested. Why? Because God is far more concerned with our development than he is our comfort. God doesn't always bring the problem. That's not the case. God doesn't always bring the problem. But if we let him, God will always use the problem to grow us. That's why Paul could write in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good. Not that all, all things are good, but that all things can work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. How do they work together? Well, verse 29 tells us that whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed into the image of his son. And so how do these things work together for good? God uses them to make us more like Christ. I tell you what, that's real helpful when I'm trying to take an accounting ledger of my life and what belongs in the lost column and what belongs in the profit column when I can see that God is working in something even though I don't like it, even though it hurts, even though I struggle and it stresses me. When I can see the hand of God working in it, you know what I can do? I can take what would, humanly speaking, belong in the lost column and I can say, you know what? I can rejoice in this because God's working in my life. And so, church, we can rejoice because we know that everything we go through is under his providential control. And we can rejoice because we know he knows what he's doing. Let me give you one thought of application here before we move on. One of the things that we have to learn, one of the things that I have to learn is to be patient with patience. 
Did you notice the wording in verse number four? But let or allow patience have her perfect work. In other words, we need to be patient with patience. Endurance takes time to build. If any of you have ever tried to train for anything, I can remember, I mentioned earlier uh, the battle with cancer, and you know, at the end of that, many of you will remember my lungs were functioning at like 30%, and there came a day where I said, you know what, I'm going to do something about it. So I got off my couch, I walked outside my house, I literally walked three lots that way, and I said, nope, I'm done. And I walked back, and I sat on my couch, and if I'd have stopped right there, I'd have been pretty frustrated with patience and endurance. But the reality is you go out the next day and maybe you can go one step farther. And then you go out the next day and you can go one step farther. And then eventually, 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 your principal hosts a 5K and you can run the whole thing. So, but what does it do? It takes time. We have to be patient with patience. I may not like how it feels, but I can have confidence that what God is forming in me is good. And I may not like it, but the reality is it doesn't, it, it, what I am going through, it develops me. It doesn't define me. And so I'm going to endure. I am going to abide under the testing that God has placed me. I'm going to let him move me and mellow me and mature me. Because the reality is I can't get his product without his process. And so what do we have? We have the blessing of growth. Hey, God's working. God is working. And for that, we can count it all joy. Let me give you another one. Not only do we have the blessing of growth, but I want you to see what else uh, uh, James says in this context. Verse number five, he says, If any of you lack wisdom now, let him ask of God, and give it to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Well, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. How can we count it all joy? Number one, we see the blessing of growth. Amen? The blessing of growth. Number two, we see the blessing of guidance. The blessing of guidance. In other words, verses 1 through 4, how wonderful it is that God is doing something in this trial. That's wonderful. I'm so excited about that. I'm so grateful for that. God is doing something in it. But um, wait a minute. God, how do I get through it? I mean, I'm glad you're doing something where I'm at. But God, how, how do we move forward from here? And so that's why James then says, now, if any of you lack wisdom, if you fail to understand what's going on or what God is doing or what you should do next, if any of you lack wisdom, he says what? Let him ask of God. Why does he say that? Because it's hard to know which way to go when the pressure's on and your world's been turned upside down. But the beautiful thing is, according to God's word, anytime, anywhere, for any reason... I can go and get wisdom straight from the source. Wisdom is the capacity to rightly and righteously apply knowledge, intellect, experience, etc. To apply these things to right and righteous living. 
And the Bible places a high value on wisdom. Proverbs 16 and verse 16 reminds us how much better is it to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding than to be, than to be chosen and to get understanding rather, sorry, to be chosen than silver. The Bible places a high value on wisdom. And according to Proverbs 4 and verse number 7, really wisdom is a commodity that adds value to everything around it. Wherefore, wisdom, it says, is is the principle, the main, the first thing. And therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. It's the principle thing. And it adds value to everything around it. You know, as a pastor, really, James 1 and verse number 5 is is one of my go-to verses. As a parent, James 1 and verse number 5 is really one of my go-to verses. As a spouse, really, James 1 and verse number 5 is one of my go-to verses. Let's just be honest. As a human being existing today, James 1 and verse number 5 is one of my go-to verses. Hey, we need wisdom, amen? If you got it figured out how to walk circumspectly in this day and age, if you got it all figured out, please come let me know. Because it seems like every time I think I get it figured out, I get a new challenge. But when I read James 1 and verse number 5, I'm always encouraged. Because you know what you find there? You find an available abundance. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. Think about that. God knows who you are. God knows where you are. God knows what you need. God knows where you're headed. God knows. Think about it. God always is and always has enough for you. You're never going to find a situation where you go to God and God looks back at you and says, Ah, you know, Steve, that's a tough one. That's a tough one, Steve. Hmm, boy. Good luck with that. You'll never get that from God. Never. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. There is an available abundance. And there is an abundant affection. Because this verse teaches me not only does God have the wisdom I need, but he wants me to have the wisdom I need too. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally. That word liberally, it means generously, and, and, and abradeth not. To upbraid would mean to demean or to reproach. In other words, God is not the ill-tempered, demanding, demeaning person who, who wonders why you haven't figured it out yet for yourself. What's wrong with you? That's not our God. You know, you think about it. I was thinking about it as a parent recently. I want my kids to have the information they need to succeed. And to to a great extent, what do we do? We encourage the hard conversations. We encourage the hard questions. Because I want them to have the right information. I want them to have the righteous information. I want them to have God's wisdom as they navigate and live their lives. I love what Jesus said. If we being evil know how to give good gifts to our kids... How much more our Heavenly Father us? Hmm. You know, when you stop and think about it, that'll make your heart glad. That you can't go anywhere. 
you can't face any problem that God can't give you wisdom to deal with. And even better, not only can he, he wants to. So the admonition here is don't shut him out. Don't close him off. Don't live, as James says here, with a divided heart. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Uh, For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind. You get the picture just back and forth and and just tossed to and fro. Verse number 8 says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You know, that's the struggle, isn't it? Because how easy is it for us to slip into living with a divided heart you feel the tension the tension that pulls at our existence in this in this day and age i mean a good physical example of this would be the would be the tension that exists between i would like to be in decent physical condition i also like pizza and so there is a tension that exists in my life on a regular basis Red Baron pizzas, I don't think they taste that great, but they're convenient. And I can eat the whole thing, which is not good. Not good. I don't know, Mrs. Wyrick, is that better or worse than the seven hot dogs in one sitting? Okay, we'll move on. At any rate, there is a, there is a tension that exists in my heart. But you know, it doesn't just exist physically. How many of us battle with it spiritually? Because, man, I want his will. But I also want my will. You know, God, I'm in this hard situation. God, I'm facing this pressure. God, I have the struggle. God, I have the stress. God, I'm hurting. God, God, this is what I want. God, if you would just do this at this point in this way, all of this would end up perfect. But God, I also want your will. But I also want you to do my will. And there's this tension that exists, this, this, this butting of the heads. And it's so easy to slip into that divided heart because I want my will and I want his will. Hey, here's another one. I want to walk by faith. Amen. I want to walk by faith. And yet sometimes it is so easy to live in fear. And you can't live in fear and walk by faith. You cannot do it. Either you believe God or, or you don't. Either you trust in him or you cower at your circumstances. I'll give this illustration. Please don't think badly of me. Please. I like genuinely, please don't think badly of me. So my wife is a a very godly lady. And we were talking today at lunch. And I was expressing to her some fear that I had with the current situation, current circumstance. And how I was really struggling with it. I said, I just don't like it. 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 And my my sweet wife said, honey, maybe you should pray about it. So smart aleck me, I go, really? Does that work? And she goes, yes, Pastor Holmes, it does. I thought, you know what? I can either continue grappling with the fear or I can choose to give it in God in faith. But I can't do both. And so I either pick one or I get knocked here and I, like a wave of the sea, tossed to and fro. But here, here's one of those things. You can take it and from every earthly standpoint, it belongs in the lost column. 
But when you remember that any time, anywhere, for any reason, you can reach out for the wisdom that you need to take that next step, and he will give it to you. He will pour it on you liberally. I'm going to tell you, that will rejoice the soul. I'm never lost. I'm never alone. I never have to languish in pain. I, I can always go to my father, and he can always give me that next step. And man, when I remember that, what well, used to belong in the lost column, man, gets moved over into the prophet column. And I can count it for joy. How do we count it for joy? Number one, what do we look at? Number one, we looked at the blessing of what? Growth. What is it, church? The blessing of growth. Hey, God's doing something in it, amen? He may not have always brought it, but he's always going to do something through it. Count it for joy. Number two, we see what? The blessing of Guidance. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Man, what an awesome thought. Count it for joy. I want you to see one more. I love, I love how James ends this section. Verse, verse 9 through 12. He said, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. I can get behind that one, right? I mean, from an earthly standpoint, I can get behind it. Brother of low degree, got brought up a few pegs. You know, he upgraded the chariot. He's, uh, he's got a little more cash in the 401. I, I mean, he's doing, I, I mean, God is blessing. And so I can get behind that one. Hey, let the brother of low estate or degree rejoice because he's exalted. Hey, we can get behind that. Amen. Woo! I love it when God blesses. Hmm, verse 10, but the rich in that he is made low. Now, it's it's the same verb from verse number 9. So go back to verse 9. What's the guy from the lowest state supposed to do when he's exalted? He's supposed to do what? Rejoice. So verse number 10, what's the rich guy supposed to do when he gets knocked down a few pegs? He's supposed to rejoice. I don't like that one as much. I don't like to be humbled by life. I'd much rather go up than down. And James here gives an example. A brother of a low estate, rejoice that you've been vaulted higher. But he also says to the brother of high estate, hey, rejoice because you've been knocked low. You know, the biblical principle here is whether you're high, whether you're low, whether you're going higher, or whether you're going lower Rejoice. Why is it? You see the end of verse number 10 there? Because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. Verse number 11 really goes a little further to develop this. In other words, all that we have and experience, it really is in this life here but for a fleeting moment. And when we get to verse number 12, we find this recognition, whether you're low, whether you're high, whether you're going higher, whether you're getting knocked down low. When you come to verse number 12, whatever your state here on earth, here it is, the best is yet to come. So no matter what happens in this life, I can rejoice because the best is yet to come. You know what? None of this is going to last. 
Verse 10, verse 11, the grass withering, the flower being scorched and burned up. All of this will come and pass. Pain will pass. Prosperity will pass. Struggle will pass. Success will pass. It will all pass. I was thinking about it. If I am lucky, all right, if I'm lucky, in 50 years, people, 75 years, people will still know where I'm buried. If I'm lucky from an earthly standpoint. But in 150 years, guess what? Ain't nobody going to come visit me no more. Ain't nobody going to have any idea where this mortal shell lays. It's all but for a moment. Now, if that was all there was, if that was all I had to look to, I mean, that would be pretty depressing. Except for the Christian, it's not all we have to look to. Yeah, I'm going to go up and down in this life, high, low, all around, pain, prosperity, some mixture of all of it in life. But the reality is, it is all a flash in the pan. This life is but a vapor that appears for a little time. And I'm going to tell you what, how, how can you rejoice when you don't like what you're facing? By remembering you won't be facing this for long. It's like the old analogy when I went to grandma's. I may not like everything on my plate at the moment, but what do you do? You get through it and you keep your fork because when you're at grandma's, the best is yet to come. (laughs) The Bible tells us, and I don't say any of this to mean light of anything people are facing, but the Bible tells us that what is to come is not worthy to be compared with what we now suffer through. Romans chapter 8 reminds us of that. That the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to even be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Preacher, it's hard. I know it's hard. But hang on, because the best is yet to come. And what the Bible tells us in James 1 and verse 12 is that we endure the crisis but for a moment and then we enjoy the crown forever. The power of positive thinking crowd has it backwards. The power of positive thinking crowd says this. Let your outlook determine your outcome. I'm going to have a positive outlook and that's going to give me a positive outcome. No. Better than positive thinking is biblical thinking. And biblical thinking is not let your outlook develop your outcome. It's let your outcome develop your outlook. And so when I know what God has ahead of me, no matter what I got in front of me, you know what I can do? I can count it all joy. I can count it all joy. You know, these principles, excuse me, these principles of spiritual accounting, I recognize that they do require a higher level of math, pun intended. You'll get that later, maybe. No? Okay. But you know, none of this church can be done without the help of the Holy Spirit. God didn't always bring it into my life. But the Bible says that God will always be in it and that God will always work through it and that ultimately God will always bring you through it. So I want to ask tonight, 
What is it in your life that has been put in the lost column that needs to get moved to the prophet column? What have we viewed as simply a negative that we need to let God reframe tonight? Maybe it's some area in life where maybe you just need to refine your trust in the Lord. You know, sometimes when we talk about God's guidance, like I want the answer and God wants to give me the next step. Sometimes I'm not always happy with the next step because I want the answer. But I got to trust him. And I wonder tonight what God has spoken to your heart about through his word. That by God's grace and for God's glory, we need to stop. And count all joy.